Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Growing up in a non-religious home, I came to believe that the point of life was for me to be happy. Not only did I gravitate towards fun, but I worked hard to avoid anything that was difficult or painful. Ironically, that ended up causing me pain. Then, Christ entered my life. Because of the grace that he showed me, I was able to own up to my own shortcomings and insecurity and deal with circumstances that were making me miserable. When Christ became my focus, I finally found the happiness I'd been searching for. My name is Ross, and that's my story. And now, the word of the Lord. And the scripture today comes from Philippians 2, 1 through 8. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let me just start with a word of prayer, uh, and then I'll preach. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that we could be here together, and I thank you, Father, that you are here with us. We're humbled by your presence. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us. I pray that you'd speak through me, and I pray that you'd give us each ears to hear. Lord, it's, it's so, so good to be together and to be here with you. We pray these things in the awesome name of Jesus. Amen. So uh, we started this series a couple of weeks ago. It's called Share What's Your Story. And Tim got us kicked off a couple of weeks ago. Uh, did a dynamite job. He sang... I've been asked, am I going to sing? I don't expect to. So if singing comes out of my mouth, you'll know that this is truly an unplanned event. Uh, (laughs) It was followed by, uh, he was followed the next week by James, who also did a terrific job. And uh, both of them hit on something that I think is important, uh, you know, to to, uh, just take note of as as we talk today. And that is that for many Christians... Uh, they, they just aren't in the practice of sharing our faith. We are not in the practice of sharing our faith. And James highlighted three reasons that Christians typically will not share their faith. Uh, it, it could be because we're afraid of offending someone, or because we're afraid of being rejected, or because we feel ill-equipped. And so, uh, you know, instead of being obsessive about people the way that Jesus was, we have become self-conscious. Uh, you know, Tim's memory verse came from Isaiah 6-8, uh, 
Hear my Lord, send me. And it's reflective of an attitude uh, that, that takes a look at what God has done for us. And because of what he's done for us, we aren't focusing on ourselves, we're thinking about him. And that's, that's the impetus for us to behave more like First Amendment Christians instead of Fifth Amendment Christians, right? We don't want to plead the fifth on our faith. We want to have a sense of freedom and talking about what Christ has done for us. And um, James, you know, his memory verse, 1 Peter 3, 5, talked about always be ready to give the reason for the hope that you have. And he went on to talk about expecting divine appointments. The Lord wants to use us, which always kind of amazes me. And he asked us to pray for this. Did you guys remember to pray for this? I actually did remember to pray for this. Uh, I was praying for my wife and for Marla, Emily, Marlene, right? We all looked at each other and were like, yeah, I'm going to pray for you. Uh, Praying for myself. And I have to admit, uh, bringing this up this morning is a little bit intimidating for me because I do not have a James story to go with this. That would be great if I had some incredible James. I don't have a James story. Uh, But the reality is, if I'm intimidated... That's my own fault, right? Because the Lord isn't calling me to be Tim. I could be singing right now, right? But I'm not. There you go. That's your musical moment. Uh, The Lord isn't calling me to be James. He's calling me to be the me that I was created to be. And so that means that I don't need to be any more talented, any richer, any taller, right? I don't need to be any smarter than I am. The Lord actually wants to use me just as I am. All I need to be is willing. And that always kind of blows me away. I really don't need anything more than what the Lord has already given me. Do you believe that that's true for you? Do you believe it? So I, a couple of people are like, yeah, I believe it. A lot of people are like, well, I don't know. I'll tell you what. Say, you're going to say something along with me. What you're going to say is, I'm not James and I don't need to be. Ready? <laughs> I'm not James, and I don't need to be. All right, that was pretty good. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're no James, and you don't need to be. Go ahead. You're no James, and you don't need to be. Now, whoever's sitting next to James, take it back. Elizabeth, you married him. Oh, you turned the other way. That was smart. Good girl. All right, awesome. Awesome. Well, so, (laughs) I think she likes you. Um, And so, if we're willing, we should expect those divine appointments uh, just as we are. We don't need to be changed. Uh, We don't don't need to be something that we're not. But, uh, you know, suppose you get one of those wonderful divine appointments. Isn't that awesome? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Uh, What can you do to be prepared to look to the interests of others, right? Philippians 2-4 is going to be our memory verse this week. Look to the interests of others. How can you be prepared for that? And so if you looked at the title of the sermon, you saw, right, Sherpa, not a drill sergeant. This is where the whole Sherpa drill sergeant thing comes in. You know, you think about a drill sergeant, and they expend a great deal of energy modifying people's behavior, right? They want to make sure that people behave a certain way. And so uh, if you're doing something wrong, your friendly drill sergeant will let you know about it. I actually went to boot camp. I was in the Navy for six years. And so when you enlist, the inaugural event is boot camp. And, uh, and so we have company commanders, but it's sort of the same thing as a drill sergeant, 
right? They get to yell at you when you mess up. So one time, I had the audacity to use the wrong type of pen in my logbook. I know, it's scandalous. And so I used felt tip instead of black ballpoint. Only black ballpoint. That's the only thing that's acceptable. And so, uh, you know, my company commander, my drill sergeant, was kind enough to yell at me in front of 79 other guys while he had me down doing push-ups. And so he'd say, Queener, down! And I would hold it. And he would yell at me. And then, and he would yell at the other guys too. It's always good to include everyone. And then, Queener, up! And then he'd ask me if I know how stupid I am. And yeah, I know I'm a complete moron, sir. Right? Uh, This is appropriate in boot camp, right? Uh, You know, drill sergeants like to keep you in line. Literally. If you're in line and you step out for a second, you're going to get yelled at. And then you're going to admit what a moron you are, and then you're going to get back in line and everything's good, right? So uh, in boot camp, this is all appropriate. It's the way you sort of uh, become one with the military, a wonderful initiation. Uh, But if you want to help lead someone to faith in Christ, that may not be the best approach, right? Uh, yelling, Yelling commands of people who have not chosen to follow Jesus, uh, they may choose to go somewhere else. They actually don't have to listen to you and your commands, right? So if, we, if we're looking to the interests of others, if we want to be humble, counting others is more important than ourselves, more significant than ourselves. Uh, the drill sergeant approach isn't the best way to go. We might want to be like a Sherpa. Now, you may not be familiar with this word. Not everybody is. A Sherpa is defined as a member of a people group that lives in the Himalayas and who are often hired to help guide mountain climbers and carry their equipment. Now, this idea of a Sherpa has sort of been embraced uh, by our culture. And so if you, if you Google the word, you'll see a bunch of companies that have Sherpa in their name. Because, you know, we've come to think of a Sherpa as somebody nice that's going to help us do something that we want to do. And so there are companies that do fundraising and recruiting and uh, identity theft protection and all of these other things that have Sherpa in their name. You know, we're here to help you and you're going to like it, right? That's sort of the message that's being sent. In real life, Sherpas lead people up dangerous mountains, right? That's what they do. They help people find a way on a long, long, hard journey. They help you to recognize what equipment that you're going to need. They help you to be equipped to make this journey so that you get up and come down alive, right? That's the idea. People like following Sherpas because their life depends on it, right? If your life depended on it, you'd say, yes, I will happily follow you. And so uh, in Scripture, there are different places that sort of paint this picture of what it would be like uh, to be a good Christian Sherpa. And Philippians 2, 1 through 8 is one picture of a Sherpa that's prepared to help others. Another place in Scripture that we can look to talk about a Sherpa that's prepared to help people on a spiritual journey is Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Paul writes this, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I'm in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way that you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. 
Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Right? And so Paul, as he writes this passage, is locked up. Now, for most of us, if we were locked up in jail, that would sort of put our lives on hold, right? You'd uh, cancel a bunch of appointments. You'd say, I'm kind of stuck until I can get out of here. Once I'm sprung, I'll get back to things. But Paul's mindset is, here I am. What can I do here? And he's looking at the people around him. Uh, Being the Sherpa servant that he is, he doesn't ask for people to pray that he'll get sprung. Instead, he says, pray that I'm going to be able to proclaim this message clearly. Help me to connect with the people around me. And he's modeling what he's telling others to do. You need to have an attitude of humility. Uh, Let your conversation be full of grace. Man, I wish that was me all the time. Unfortunately, it's not. Once in a while, right? It's great to have conversation that's full of grace. Make the most of every opportunity. Know how to answer everyone. His heart's desire is to be in a position to help these people that are around him so that they can also know the Lord that he knows, know the pleasure of knowing Jesus. He wants to be like a Sherpa, right? A third place where Paul talks about what it means to be prepared is in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. In this passage, Paul writes, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Doesn't that just blow you away? Paul's use of language here paints a good picture of the attitude that we should have as we seek to be a servant to those around us, as we seek to be a spiritual guide. He uses the words reconcile or reconciliation five times in just a few sentences. What do you think his point is, right? What's he driving at? He also talks about us as ambassadors, and he he uses the word implore. I implore you, be reconciled to God. What's his attitude here? What kind of person does he want us to be? If we approach people in humility, if we implore instead of command, if we stop viewing people from a worldly perspective, right? It's easy to judge by status, wealth, abilities, accomplishments, looks, whatever it is. It's easy to judge people by what you see. You don't know what's going on inside. And instead, understand that people are lost and helpless. We're in a good place to serve as an ambassador for Christ. We're in a good place to be a Sherpa. Also, in both this passage and in the Philippians passage, as Paul talks about this, he ends the section by talking about what Christ has done for us, right? That's the impetus, that as we look at Jesus and what he's done, you know, even as, as Tim referenced uh, the Isaiah 6, 8, here am I, send me, Paul's got that same attitude. Look at what Christ has done. I want to be sent. I want to be used. 
I love these, I see the way that the Lord loves everyone. I want to love people that way. And so his impetus is not one of guilt or fear, but it's one of love, right? The, Christ, the love of Christ compels him. All three of these passages talk about someone that's humble and selfless and gracious and concerned with the eternal well-being of others. When someone like that comes to a, you know, fork in the road experience, right? If you come to a fork in the road, take it, right? That's what always comes to mind when I think of that. Um, But when you come to that fork in the road experience, that moment, uh, you need to be prepared to go where you may not necessarily want to go, right? That's part of the deal. If we're following Christ, he doesn't say, come and follow me and I will make life easy for you. (laughs) It's nowhere in there. So if you thought that's what you're going to hear, I'm sorry. Jesus uh, is really good at disappointing people when it's appropriate. Uh, So... Last week, as I was preparing this sermon, I was, of course, looking at Facebook, too, because why wouldn't you if you're preparing a sermon? And I actually saw something that was perfect for this sermon. So here it goes. A friend of mine, Rasul, had an experience. I asked him if I could use this, and he said, well, sure, go ahead. So here's what Rasul has to say. Got up at 4.45 to get on a 7 a.m. flight. Tired. I wasn't trying to talk to anyone on the plane. So naturally, God sends someone who likes to talk to sit next to me. After telling me about her past, which involved a lot of brokenness and bad relationships, I shared my story and how God showed me his love and grace through Christ in spite of my bad decisions. I shared with her John 4 and how a woman with a bad reputation encountered Jesus and experienced forgiveness and freedom from her past. Then, in the passage, the same woman immediately became a change agent among the very people that were judging her. The eyes of the lady sitting next to me welled with tears as she showed me the goosebumps that emerged after reading this passage. She texted me after she got off the plane. She ended an unhealthy relationship before her next flight took off. Yeah, she's downloading the Bible app and plans to keep in touch. Lesson learned. A little sacrificial lack of sleep can change a life. This gospel really is good news to the brokenhearted. Oh, yeah, amen. Um, And so, you know, sometimes, and we have a lot of travelers here, right? Sometimes you're just dog-tired, you don't want to hear it. The person next, you don't want to talk to every talker. I know that there are different kinds of talkers, right? But sometimes the Lord is going to call us to speak for him when it's inconvenient or uncomfortable. One detail that Rasul shared with me after I asked him if I could use this story, uh, he said that, um, that what he provided on Facebook was a pretty sanitized version of the interaction between himself and this young woman, that uh, her language was rich with profanity, and some of her life experience is what, not you would, what you would normally casually talk about with a stranger. And so, uh, you know, it was actually hard work for him to focus on her and what she was saying and not to judge her because of everything coming out of her mouth. Uh, if he had been a drill sergeant, can you imagine how that interaction would have gone? Right? If, if he would have stopped her and said, I'm sorry, but could you just tell me this story without all of that language. I, I would rather not hear all those words, uh, which is true. He didn't want to hear it, but 
uh, what kind of a sense of empathy does that demonstrate, right, towards this other person? Uh, what you're saying is, it's okay to be vulnerable, but do it on my terms, please. Uh, that doesn't facilitate any vulnerability, right? Uh, when she talked about how lousy her life was, he could have said, well, obviously you've made bad decisions. I mean, this is kind of your own fault, right? Uh, though it may have been true. Uh, I suspect she already knew that she was screwing up her life. Uh, being the drill sergeant, uh, telling her the, what commands she hasn't been obeying, wasn't what she needed at the moment. She needed a Sherpa uh, that was going to ignore the things that he didn't like and help to connect her to the Savior. That's what she needed in the moment. So, you know, you may be thinking, well, how can I be prepared this way? I mean, that's, that's kind of a steep order. Just so you know, Sherpas don't wake up one morning and say, I should be a Sherpa, right? Uh, they actually live on the very mountains that they lead people up. And so this is sort of something that they live out day in and day out, walking around on mountains. It's part of the culture. It's part of who they are as a people. Uh, Rasul, in his interaction with this young woman, he knew that story about uh, the woman at the well in John 4 because he actually reads his Bible. He reads it every day. He's been doing it for years, right? So all of this basic Christian stuff that we're supposed to be doing, uh, here's one place where we see the benefit of it. If you want to be a guide to other people, if you want to help to lead them to the Savior, then walk with Jesus, right? Be one of his people. Do the things that we're supposed to do. Uh, be in scripture. Be in prayer. Uh, be in fellowship with other believers. One of the bonuses that comes along with this, Jesus is also at work in preparing us. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, Paul says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we, receive our, we ourselves receive from God. And so when the Lord is leading us through terrible circumstances, he gives us his comfort, and through that experience, it becomes ours, and we're able to give it to others. He's equipping us to minister to others. Obviously, preparation is a big part of this Sherpa life. Also in the Sherpa's tool bag is patience, right? We have preparation. We also have patience. Uh, Sherpa's not living for the moment, right? When you meet a Sherpa, he's not like, all right, let's go. We're going up the mountain now. And you're like, too much Red Bull, right? I'm going to the Sherpa office and getting a new one because you're not ready to do this. No, you know, this person's in it for the journey. In the same way, when we, when we are interacting with someone and we want to drop the Jesus bomb on them, right? We don't need to give them the whole Bible at once, but say you want, to, you, you want to let it out there that, yes, I'm actually a person that follows Jesus. I do believe in him, and, and I think he could help you. If you think that it's all or nothing in that one moment, of course you're afraid to do it. It's not all or nothing in that one moment. This person may say no thanks. A day, a week, a month, a couple years later, they might say, you know what? I actually want to talk to you about this. So you're not in it for the moment. Uh, you are in it for the journey. We just need to take the initiative 
and the power of the Holy Spirit to share what God's given us and leave the results up to God, right? If anybody's going to feel pressure, it's God. He can deal with it. You don't need to feel pressure in this situation. Uh, I have a friend named Zahir who runs a halal cart near my office. I I got to know him when, as I would go out and get lunch, uh, he had this small size lamb on rice. It was three fifty, and so I would go to buy it. Sometimes he had to make, you know, he had to make change. It was three fifty. He would be out of quarters. So one day, as I was leaving home, I went through all my change, and I have jars on my dresser, right? And I go through the jars, and I get um, twenty dollars in quarters. Put them in a ziploc. And so when I go to get lunch from Zahir, I'm like, "Hey, man, this is twenty bucks in quarters. Do you need these?" Oh, yes, thank you. He gave me a 20, I gave him the quarters, and then I bought lunch. Uh, over the course of the next couple of years, I continued doing this. I got to know Zahir fairly well. I would hear about his family. He'd ask me about my family. He's from Egypt. I would pray for his country. Egypt went through a lot of junk around that time. Um, eventually, he had to raise his prices, so he doesn't need my quarters anymore. Uh, but we still have great rapport with each other. Uh, Last year, I gave him a Christmas card, and on the bottom in Arabic, I wrote, May the peace of the Lord be with you, right? Because uh, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. That was sort of the theme of the card. Um, Zahir and I have very good rapport. Now, there's been some gospel interaction over the course of five years, not a ton. Uh, He is a somewhat devout Muslim, and so it is very slow going. If, if I was expecting results now, I would have had to bail on him years ago because I just know most of our conversations are going to be about our families. But that's okay, right? He knows who I am. He knows what my life is about. Uh, I have to trust that the Lord is working on the other side of the equation. Uh, and so I can be patient with him. In addition to preparation and patience, uh, also important, Uh, in the life of a Sherpa is the be with factor, right? Being present with the person that you're serving. This was modeled by Christ, right? You you never see a passage in the New Testament where Matthew is talking to him and Matthew's like, yeah, you know, I've got all these friends. They're tax collectors. I used to hang out with them and they're really rowdy. And and as he's going on, Jesus says, oh, man, Matthew, I'm sorry. Could you repeat that? I wasn't listening. I got my papyrus out, my scroll and I was reading, and I totally tuned you out. I'm sorry, could you go? Jesus never does that, right? And so, you know, we want to make sure that we're not doing that either. It's not a good way to minister to people. Uh, So let me give you an example from real life. A couple of weeks ago, I had to go to the Apple store, and so as I was concluding my business, I had my just walk across the room book laying on the counter, and a young lady that was helping me looked down at it and said, oh, I've read a book by that same author. How's that book? Now, you know, give me some feedback here. If that happened to you, what could you have said in that moment to help move the conversation along or to go a little deeper with this individual? What do you think? Anybody? What's that? The book title. So by that you mean... Okay, talk about books by the same author. Sure, yeah, yeah, I know he's written a bunch of books. Uh, you know, he's kind of a Christian author. Do you consider yourself to be a Christian? 
Or the book that you read, what was it about? What drew you to that book? Right, there are a bunch of things that could have been said. Now, that's not what I did, right? I was a bad Sherpa. What I did <laughs> was I said, oh, you know, it's, it's a good book. It's a bunch of stories that he tells about people talking about their faith. Um, you know, it's fairly easy to read. Uh, and then I thanked her for helping me, and I left. <laughs> I totally didn't get it. I'm on the train. I start reading the book, and I'm like, oh, oh, that was an open door. I to- you know, I was not present. I was thinking about my next task. I was in the future, and I should have been in the moment, paying attention to this. James talked about this last week. He said, you never see Jesus running anywhere. You do see the father, right, running to the prodigal son, different story. You don't see Jesus ever in a hurry to go somewhere. He is present with the people that he's with. And so we need to think about that. Another way in which um, our sense of being present with someone has to do with something that all of us, almost all of us, carry around, right? And it's one of these, right? This little, this little job uh, can be a blessing and a curse, right? I've got a notification on here now. Uh, there's, there's a woman named Sherry Turkle who's written a book uh, called Reclaiming Conversation, right? It's a terrific book. She's not a Christian, but she doesn't need to be to see how people interact. And uh, technology, the way that we use technology and the way that it's using us is disruptive to conversations. Even, even if a phone is turned off, if it's sitting on a table, it inhibits conversation because the message is there may be something that's more important than you, so I need to have this here. It sends a message that stifles conversation. Children um, used to develop a certain level of empathy uh, by the time they were through elementary school, uh, but now they're not exhibiting that level of empathy until middle school sometime. They're delayed in developing empathy. Adults, as, as those of us become, uh, you know, become um, more and more dependent on technology for communication, our sense of empathy atrophies away also. Right, and so we need to be careful that we are using our technology, it's not using us, right? I, I know that in our modern world, um, you can't just say, we'll always put the phone away. Sometimes there are things we need to watch for. If you're a parent, you might be looking for a text from your kid. I understand that, right? But you don't want your reflex to be, I need to check every notification. If you're doing that, the message you're sending to people around you is, I'm glad you're here, but there are other things that are more important. Uh, what level of intimacy is going to be in your conversations, if that's your habit? It really does disrupt conversation. It makes it difficult for you to engage well with people. I do just want to make a quick note. Uh, you know, There are also a lot of good ways that we can use our phones. Sometimes the Spirit may say, text this person. And you do it, and they're like, oh, I'm so glad you did, right? So the Lord can can use that technology in a great way. Social media can be a plus or a minus, right? We all know it. If you get a reputation for throwing hand grenades on social media, your level of gospel influence goes down to zero or into the negatives pretty quickly. You also have to be careful with, you know, the memes, a kitty cat that says, Jesus loves me this much. Uh, You know, it's like a, I know, yeah, you've seen him, right? It's like a Sherpa showing up with a big bag of candy. Let's go up the mountain. You're like, shouldn't that be beef jerky? I mean, don't we, don't we need something else? And so 
be conscious of what you're doing on social media. It's, you know, use scripture, don't use it as a weapon. Uh, scripture is beautiful. It speaks uh, to who the Lord is. It'll draw people. The Lord will speak through it. Uh, you know, you post a picture of a sunset. You can say, I, I love this. You know, this is my favorite artist. He, he paints these things for me every day. Uh, you can make statements about who he is and who we are that aren't um, confrontational and that woo people towards Christ. So that's the social media moment. Um, in summary, right, there are three things that we need as Sherpas so that we can look not only to our in- own interests but also to the interests of others. We want to be prepared by following Jesus and allowing him to do work in our lives to prepare us. We want to be patient and trust God for the results. It's not all up to us. It's not all in the moment, but there's a journey. And we want to be present with people, with the people that we're talking to, so that that they know that we recognize that they're important. We need to be present with them. And then divine appointments can become journeys. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. You know, we are all in this process of growing in Christ-likeness, of becoming more and more the women and men that you created us to be. Thank you that you're with us every step of the way. Thank you for your grace and goodness in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't just send us out. You're not a drill sergeant, but, Lord, you're with us for the journey. And so, Lord, we pray that you continue to work in our hearts and minds And help us to be the Sherpa-like people that you're calling us to be. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.